Hey everybody, welcome to The Den today. I'm Lance Bachman, founder of One SEO Digital Agency. And today we are talking about pandemics, protests, Black Lives Matters, everything's so wishy-washy, crazy times. Everybody has an opinion. People are getting heated. People are going crazy on social media. And to talk about it, we have a 30-year veteran, now a senator, Doug Mastriano on the show, who's been fighting probably the loudest in the state of Pennsylvania and feels Governor Wolf is a dictator and a king and he's fighting for our rights to open back up business as usual. Senator, welcome to the show. Don't forget to smash that share button, subscribe to my page, follow me on Instagram at Lance Bachman and keep sending me those questions. Thank you for having me on. What a strange time we live in here. You know, a year ago, you could never predict we'd be in this kind of a predicament here. And so God help us. We, we really need to assert ourselves and, and regain our freedoms and rights. Otherwise we'll never get them back again. So let's talk about that. You know. I, I, I've seen you on social media, and that's why I asked you to be on the show. I mean, you, if you are on social media and you don't see you, you're not on social media, right? You're everywhere. You're on Facebook. I mean, you name it. Like, you're posting, but you're – what made you go to the platform of social media so hard? Because most people in your position, especially Republicans, are not fighting back the way you are. So, you know, how do you get your message out? And, you know, obviously traditional print media is, is on the decline, and it's not going to be around much longer. And on the other side here, obviously, television costs a lot of money. And so one easy way to reach people here is, is right where they're sitting and on social media. Now, there's many platforms that we're going to expand out to the other platforms where we don't have much of a presence. But obviously, the strongest right now is Facebook uh, and Twitter and Instagram. But if, if, uh, if you can't talk directly to people, then you're wasting your time. And, and I see lots of my many of my colleagues doing good work. But people don't know about it and that's up to them to get their message out you know in the army we're, we're trained in information operations and information operations io io campaigns it's all about you know, delivering your message to where the people are in a relevant quick quick fashion and so this platform is a great way to do that i mean so you almost treat it like a business i mean i, I mean you have a business mind to it of i'm gonna get my message out there i'm gonna let the people see it and know who i am Yes, sir. Basically, in how I view it, and a lot of a lot of the ways I talk, obviously, is my almost my entire adult life was in uniform. I, you know, I talk in military term, terminology. So we're in a war of ideas, and whoever can get their idea out clear, direct, in the most relevant way is going to win the battle as far as influencing people's ideas. So my my approach here is I'm no politician. First off, I'm an elected official. I when somebody asked me last year, so you know, why did you become a politician? I'm like, man, that's icky sounding. And you know, what a politician is somebody who's who's you know wishy washy somebody who's who's icky that that can be bought with money and uh, really doesn't run off of ideas when it comes down to it and so the, the whole point of this thing here is to come across just to let you know who I am and what I stand for one thing that frustrated me when I got involved in this was uh, look, looking at some of my counterparts and say where do they stand on these issues it take me 30 to 60 minutes to figure out where they stood on basic you know rights like the Second Amendment all these basic things abortion and so my, my position is, here's Doug Mastriano. I'm raw and unfiltered. This is what I believe in, and I, and I hope you'll have a conversation with me. And if, if you believe in me, let's get on board and fight together. Let's talk about H.R. 836. Sent the bill on. Governor Wolf, you clearly are not a fan of him. Like, clearly, I'm assuming from everything I see you say, do. I mean, you're not, you're not signing up to push the ballot for him for sure. Talk about the emergency order and tell us what's going on. And you think the Supreme Court's going to rule on it next week? Tell us. It was around March 19th, so 100 and some days ago, of course, the governor shut down the whole state here and, and picked winners and losers, essential, non-essential, life-sustaining, life-not-sustaining. 
And as far as my position was, uh, no governor should have the power to destroy life and to pick winners and losers. And, and actually, he is the most powerful governor in Pennsylvania history. And that's not hyperbole. That, that's a fact. No one's ever before come in and shut down a state of 13 million for a virus that ends up having a 99.7% recovery rate nationwide. Our, our, our number is a bit lower, but we're still 99% recovery rate in Pennsylvania. But to have this power here running around demanding people wear masks, demanding you have social distancing, demanding that if you don't abide by his rules, if you don't stay closed, if he tells you to be closed, he's going to send his regulators down and law enforcement sometimes here to, to intimidate, bully, and fine you and threaten to take your license. And so I'm in the midst of this whole thing here, and uh, I get together with uh, Representative Russ Diamond. He's like, hey, Doug, would you partner with me in the Senate? He's on the House side, and uh, let's run resolutions to end this. So we ran it. We, we worked it hard. And it was, an, it was a statewide movement. One of my uh, colleagues said, uh, he came up to me and said, Doug, tell me about your resolution. I'm like, why are you asking? Because you weren't in interested before. He goes, I got 3,000 emails over the weekend about it. So the people got the message. I would talk directly to the people. My nightly live streams, I'll have 20,000 live viewers hopping on and off by the time I'm done after 45 minutes. So we're getting the message out. I'm telling people exactly the truth as best I know it at that moment in time. And I called the people action and said, if, you know, we have an opportunity here to end this emergency order with 836 and 323, the Senate version of it. And the people rose up. We worked real hard. We passed it. It was a historic vote. The media didn't cover it. It just it defies reason. And the governor, by this decree from the House and Senate, was constitutionally has to end his emergency order. And he refused. And we, we blew it on our side because the House and Senate should have stood up and had you know, stood on the steps of the Capitol with our leadership and said, you know, regardless of what the governor does, it's over. Live your lives. Ignore his colors. Ignore his edicts. It's done. But instead, um, we sat back and handed it to the courts. And so we're in a constitutional crisis. And the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania is going to hear arguments starting Monday on this whole thing. And, you know, there's no way to know where it's going to go. If you look straight at the Constitution, it should go our way, but you never know because they're elected as well. well. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that, right? You're going to go to the PA Supreme Court. You guys bypassed the lower court. He did, Governor Wolf, because that's a Republican court. And he went straight to the PA court, which is majority Democrat. Do you think this is politics? Do you think this is political? This, I mean, do you think this, do you think this is political, point blank, yes or no? Yes, it definitely is political. That's why he skipped the Commonwealth Court the court it should have gone to, the court it did go to, and the Supreme Court on behest of the governor took it from the Commonwealth Court and is going to rule on it. it it's an uphill battle, so that's why the, the Senate argument, because the Senate filed the uh, lawsuit, the Senate argument is very narrow. It's a, like, Supreme Court, tell us if Article 35 of the Constitution empowers the, the House and Senate to end emergency order or not, and it, it clearly does. And if they don't, we're going to have to come up with legislation to change that so that we can empower ourselves. I mean, it's, it's a strange time. And as I said, we lost the initiative. You know, in a, in a fight, in combat, you always want to have the initiative. You always want to have the advantage. But instead of having the advantage, you know, we, we do this great thing. We work hard. The people of Pennsylvania rise up. We pass 836 with, with 323 language amended into it. And then the, you know, the House and Senate sit back and do nothing. And that was losing the initiative. And basically, really, a few of my colleagues, it really ticked me off. I start seeing posts on social media saying, oh, the passage of 836 doesn't change anything until the court rules on it. I'm like, what a bunch of cowards. No, it, it should have changed everything. Now, let's talk about that. You're definitely not a coward. I've watched your live streams. I've watched your posts. I mean, you're a no bullshit guy. I mean, it's just what you are. I mean, you, you know, I hate to use that word, but you just are. I mean, you just, you're, you're and I always the word intimidating. You're just so 
a breath of fresh air in a lot of ways because you're just truthful. What happens if the PA Supreme Court rules against the article and says what you would call Governor Wolf a dictator or king at that point, correct? Yeah, he'd be a tyrant. He'd be the king of the Susquehanna. So what happens? What, what, what do you do? Do we go to the do you go up, do you go up to the Supreme Court of the United States? Would they hear it? I mean, what, what do you do? Yeah, so there's several options. And one of them is, as you rightly said, we make an appeal to the Supreme Court and go to the Third Circuit federal court first for review, I think. And then after that, if, if they think it's uh, if they weigh in on it, then the Supreme Court of the United States. I don't think they'd take it, though, at the, at the U.S. Supreme Court, because it is a state issue and they tend to steer clear of it. OK, so what are options? Uh, one option is we, we change. Uh, we amend Article 35 to, to empower us more. Uh, you know, if, if it was so easy, we would have done it before. But that's going to take time. and It's time we don't have. And on the other side here, as you mentioned, is continue to pursue it in the courts. But in the meantime, it's winning elections. That's the quickest way to have results. In November, we have a big election. Funny you say that. I've never voted in my entire life. And this election, this is the first time I'm saying it publicly, I am voting. I'm not going to say which way I'm voting. I'm not going to get into that. But I am going to vote um, just because of where I see the country going and some of the craziness and the absurdness that's happening. And, you know, it's just getting so out of control. Um, I feel like I have four sons. If I don't vote, I'd be doing them an injustice. I mean, you know, it's just really sad times right now. Let, let's talk about this. Everybody's talking about the COV-19, COVID-19. COVID they brought it went away out of the news during the protest and riots. It was gone. Boom. No, you couldn't, you couldn't find it 10 articles down on anywhere. No one's coming out saying all these million of protests had spikes, spikes, spikes. No, no, no one's saying any of these protests had spikes. But now places like Myrtle Beach, Florida, the vacation destinations that are open, spikes, it's getting crazy, everyone's going to die, doom and gloom. Why is no one talking about the death rate? Can you talk about the death rate? No one's talking about the death rate. Yeah, and, and you point out an inconsistency here. So the death rate, by the way, is, is, is pretty low. And, and as I mentioned earlier on, a 99.7% recovery rate. And if you look at Pennsylvania, and I'm going to use the numbers from our Secretary of Health, who needs to resign in shame. Our Secretary of Health unleashed the plague in our elder care facilities. We could hit on it later on. But the bottom line is 70% of all the deaths in Pennsylvania are in these elder care facilities, of which our Secretary of Health has statutory oversight of, not in an emergency, but especially an emergency, but routine job. Secretary Levine is supposed to make sure that our elder, our elder folks are taken care of. Failed that miserably. So two thirds of our deaths are in these elder care facilities. Uh, using the numbers from our Secretary of Health, which are way exaggerated, the Secretary has admitted that they double count people. They count people from out of state coming in. They count maybe positives, could have been positives, or people that live in the same household as positives, even though they don't test positive. But even using those ridiculous numbers from our failed secretary, it's only 0.38% of Pennsylvania's entire population. So, I mean, this is literally... I know, but why is no one talking about the death rate? The death rate, like... And, and, and I keep hearing, like, you know, no one wants to talk about the death rate. The death rate isn't climbing. It's, go, it's actually going backwards. Right, it's gone on a decline. I think yesterday was the lowest day since the since COVID nineteen really been reported heavily in April, say, of the death lowest death rate in the country. Why is no one talking about that? What? Why is it not positive news on the media? And two thirds of those deaths, by the way, are in the elder care facilities as a result of Levine's failed policy. They're not talking about it because it doesn't go with their narrative. Their narrative is the the play play and spike the numbers, the raw numbers so they, so they keep you in bondage, get you in fear 
create fear and chaos out there. So you wear your mask, you do your social distancing, you live in bondage, that you submit to Governor Wolf's color codes. You know, and green is not green. It's nonsense. We're still living in bondage. So why why is the media so all of them, even Fox News, I want to throw it out there. CNN, NBC News, all propaganda sites. I mean, they, they are. They're not even, they don't even report news anymore. It's like, it's actually terrible. Why are they not reporting, though? Because I, I got to find this out. That, why is no one saying that death rate's low? Why, why is no one talking about that? Or am I just totally nuts here? Uh, I agree with you. You know, that the media is missing about on so many areas. You know, John Adams, our, 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 one of our presidents early on, said staffs, uh, facts are stubborn stubborn things, and the facts don't go with their, their narrative. You know, this fear-mongering and all this drama here with COVID-19 drives up viewership. I think it's pragmatic. And also, there might be a political agenda behind on many of these stations here. But the bottom line is, this lockdown is not justified by the death rate, which you have a 99.7% recovery rate, according to the experts and CDC. The liberals always tell us, listen to the experts. Okay, you listen to them too. And then on the other side here, the recovery rate is, is so high that it's focusing on people in elder care facilities. And the average age of deaths in Pennsylvania are those 81 and above. That's, that's the average age. And once again, that's as a result of our Secretary of Health sending back positive patients into the homes. So now I'm going to throw this at you, Senator. And this is what someone said to me the other day. But one life... If you lose one life, that's one life too many. But I just buried my brother. He died of cancer. No one's saying that. I just buried, just literally less than a month and a half ago, buried my brother. No, that's, that's one life. It's my brother's life. No one's fighting for cure for cancer, shutting things down. No one's fighting for, you know, when HIV came around AIDS, they, we didn't shut down businesses. It doesn't make sense to me at this point. Why, why, what, what, what would you respond to somebody when someone says one life, one life? Yeah, I would say they're inconsistent and they're advancing an agenda and, and, and they're just parroting the talking points from the governor. Okay, and as you mentioned, death is out there every day. Everything you do in life comes with the risk. That right now, the numbers we have, and even though they're exaggerating or playing the numbers, it's still roughly a, a high flu season. It doesn't even match some of the flu seasons that we've lived through here in America in my lifetime. And so, yeah, what are you going to do about people who die from, the, from the, the flu that comes every year and the common cold and respiratory disease and pollution and food poisoning? So where do you stop this? It's not up to Governor Wolf as he likes to come out and say, my job is to keep you safe. No, it's not, Governor. You're, you're just create conditions for us to live our lives without being encumbered by Harrisburg. But in the meantime, he mocks people that want to go to work. He says, just stay home, collect your unemployment check, and you know, stay safe. What, what utter nonsense. This is not a socialist utopia. We're getting a view of how oppressive and ridiculous this whole system is. And so we just need to live our lives. And, and that's why I'm, I'm the leading voice of the opposition. I say, don't wear your mask, live as a free people and, and decide how you're gonna live your life. My, my question is this though, also, because everyone said, no one's complaining about the protest. Everyone said we support it. Pretty much every political person said, we support you going out protesting during COVID-19, but yet you can't go to a funeral, but yet there was thousands of people for the funeral, right? But my, my question to you is simple. Why is it okay? We, they could have did remote protesting, right? They could have all logged into YouTube, Zooms, all these things, right? Why go, if, it, if it's that bad, COVID-19, if it's truly that bad, why go put yourselves and let people put themselves in harm's way and support it? I want to know that question. It, clearly, it's not that bad. And so if you have a protest of which the governor believes and agrees with, he's down with that. And he goes, I went to a reopen PA rally in April, spoke and also in May. And uh, I was I was accused of the governor and his willing accomplices in the press of being irresponsible and reckless for walking around without a mask and shaking people's hands and not social distancing. Wolf put up barriers on the steps. So we were forced together anyway. 
But irregardless of that, April and May we have this, and because the governor disagreed with our reason for gathering, for our right to work and go out and live our lives, he condemns us, judges us. A few weeks later, we see him out there, you know, mixing it up with thousands of people. In a county, he said, you cannot gather more than groups of 25. So clearly, this entire COVID-19 has become a political action to, to wear us down, to grind down our economy, and keep us in bondage and control. I think it's all about control. The governor's enjoying the power together with his failed secretary. They're enjoying this great power that they have over our lives. What's your thoughts on the riots and defunding the police? What are your thoughts on the riots and defunding police? I have to get your thoughts on this. The, the riots are, are completely unacceptable. If go out, you have the right to peacefully protest according to our constitution. You don't have the right to go and attack people, to murder people, to rob stores. Uh, we need law and order restored to our country. Uh, we need we need to get the, this, this thing under control. On the other side here, you know, as, as far as uh, when people cause harm and attack monuments and, and attack other individuals, they need to be brought to justice. You know, it bothers me in Talladega, we had an accusation that, that there was a, you know, a racial crime against one of the drivers out there. Come to find out it was just, it was nothing. They sent 15 FBI agent, agents down there to investigate that. Why aren't they arresting people who are attacking others, murdering others, looting stores? And I just can't get my arms around why we're allowing this to happen in our country let's talk about the police the country right now i'm going to say half if not more feel the police is bad feel police officers are bad and i've been around a lot of great police officers and i've had run-ins with some shitty ones you know just full transparency some guys that were just being bullies they weren't nice but the majority of police i've met have been nice cordial um, my son almost died a few years ago, and I'll never forget the image of the police officer in Northampton Township, who I buy lunch for every year on the day. I mean, what's the problem why people don't see the police as good? Is it just, I mean, the majority of them are good, and people want to go and say, well, one bad pilot. Well, no, it's not the same. The police are mostly interacting with negative things. Pilots are not. Can you kind of talk about that and what you see with the police? Because I actually feel bad for them. I, I think the shitty ones got to go. But there's a lot of good ones out there that you need. I know a lot of great ones. Yeah. So why do we condemn, you know, law enforcement across? Well, I'll call them police officers. And in, in my mind, that's Margaret. Why, why would we condemn police, uh, peace officers around the nation for the horrific acts of one officer or a couple of the others that stood around and did nothing? I'll, I'll include them in the bag in Minneapolis. And suddenly this becomes a national movement. I think we have a few things here. First off, you know, most, most uh, folks serving in law enforcement want to protect and defend their communities. And what an honorable thing it is. They take an oath to their constitution to defend people. And you owe, if pe people are people, you don't have bad apples. You got bad apples in the army too. We saw it happen in Iraq, you know, in Abu Ghraib. Remember the prison nonsense that happened? Absolutely. You got them, but you find them and you punish them to the full extent of the law. And and this, this guy in Minneapolis, by the way, he's operating in an environment underneath Democrat policies, under Democrat rules. And he needs to go to jail, maybe death penalty. He's got to be punished. Well, why are you going to castigate all the other police officers around the nation? They had nothing to do with this. Now, there's a few things we can do to fix this. I, I wonder if some of the police unions are too powerful. If you got a bad officer, police officer, and uh, they, they, you can't fire him because it's too hard because the union did its job and protects his people to an extreme. If you have 18 counts against you, as he did, you know maybe it's time for him to go. So we need to probably look at this and work with the police unions to find out how can we weed out the bad apples quickly. Well, I mean, that, that's part of the problem, right? So the union defends their jobs, right? That's part of the problem. And the other part is the other officers, and this is the advice I'd give to anyone out there, no different than anything else in life, sergeants, lieutenants, police chiefs, if you have a terrible cop, a bad cop, you got to fire him. And you just got to fire him. You got to go. You, you, you're better off 
the damage it does to your organization, I've always said this to people, let me let someone be negative inside my organization here at 1SEO or do something wrong, I'm going to terminate you without question. But I know I cannot hurt my organization and its image for one person. And I think that's really where the police have messed up over the years. They haven't spoke up and turned them in. It's always like a, a brotherhood, a quiethood, and of, hey, let's be quiet. I think what you're going to see now, because I know a lot of great cops, I think you're going to see them start speaking up and saying, we ain't tolerating this anymore. I think I think it's what you're going to say. I really do. Yeah, we do need that to happen. You know, in, in the Army, you know, early on when soldiers first enter, the commanders actually have quite a bit of power because some people just aren't suited or fitted for military service. And, and so we get them removed. To get them their, their discharge and they can move on and do something they're more suited for. Now, it's the same thing with law enforcement. So clearly the departments need to be more empowered to make those hard decisions early on than, than looking the other way. Real quick, let's jump into this. You have an impressive military career. You've dedicated yourself. Can you tell us about that and why you did it? I mean, and thank you for your service. Like, thank you so much. Well, I, ever since I was five years old, I wanted to be in the Army. So clearly all my life, I lived the dream for 30 years at, on active duty. And, and really, I was influenced a lot by my dad. He was a Navy man. And I remember as a five-year-old kid looking up, he, he, he was a, a crewman in the back of a helicopter and he convinced a pilot to fly over our house. He's out there waving at us about hundred feet above the ground. I was like, wow, that's awesome. But I didn't relish the idea of being out at sea. And uh, I, I used to sit at the feet of my uncle Joe, who was in Patton's third army during World War II, listening to his war stories. And uh, so joined the army, I wanted to make a difference, loved my country, did it for all the patriotic reasons that you hear about, but aren't so popular anymore. And uh, started off on a Iron Curtain uh, with the 2nd Cavalry Regiment, that's why I wear spurs to this day, uh, patrolling the Czechoslovak and East German government against the type of system that, that some, some of these political movements want to bring to America. Saw the Cold War end, it was fantastic, end up in Saudi Arabia a few months later, and then fighting Saddam Hussein's forces to liberate Kuwait. Assignments around 12 years out of the country, four combat deployments, four moves, uh, deployments to Afghanistan after 9-11, um, help planning the invasion of Iraq through Turkey. I mean, just it's it was a long haul. It was a great time. Served with so many beautiful people. It's been simply amazing. Let's talk about your experiences over there. I'm sure you had scary times. I don't care who you are. I'm sure you've seen so much. What experiences did you take from there that are helping you do your job now as an elected official? I'm not going to call you a politician because it is a negative connotation, especially in this environment for any politician, but, but you're an elected official. What experiences are you taking? And the, the key thing that I saw, is, and I did not deploy to the Balkans. I don't want people who deployed there, but I supported the mission. I went there many, many times, spent a lot of days there supporting the mission. And uh, that, that one in particular struck me because that was a civil war. And then I look around at, at the atrocities that were committed and, and, you know, people that want to say, maybe we need something like a civil war in America. I'm like, you, you're nuts. We don't want that here. And the other thing is, is, is just how precious, rare, and valuable our freedoms are. We take it for granted every day we wake up. We, you know, you and I can talk and not worry about the police monitoring our speech at this moment anyway and we can live our lives normally and do what we want to do except now and so when i come back i retire from the army uh, i'm reflecting on my career um, i'm about to go on a, an interview with with another guy a couple of years ago when i was just leaving the army and i was uh, before we were recording i'm complaining about how i'm handing over the, the country and state in pretty bad shape to, to my son and this young man looked over at me and said well colonel do something about it and i'm like oh man because normally colonels and generals are offered you know, a, a nice package by the federal government to continue to serve in, as a civilian because they, they, they invested so much in us. And I thought about that and I had all these excuses like, hey, I don't like politics, I don't have the money, I don't have the connections, I was prohibited for 30 years while I was an officer, which is a good thing for being involved politically. But he was right. It's like, we need to do something about it. So, you know, I ended up running and winning. And so I bring with me all the thoughts of the sacrifice and deaths and deployments 
of all those I served with here, the heroism of, of so many, the fear that came with it, the uncertainty in life. And uh, that's why I'm the leading voice of opposition to the governor, because he has no idea what he's doing. And those willing accomplices in the population, those, those busybodies that want to go in and crush you, wear your mask, social distance, they have no idea that they're nothing but useful idiots for this bad agenda here to destroy our country. And everything is at stake. And we're about to lose our freedoms if we don't stand up and resist. Can you tell us some other, some other pieces of legislation that you're working on right now in Harrisburg? Yeah, so there's a couple things here that are interesting. I, I, I together with Senator Argyle out of Schoolville County, we have legislation and uh, to re require the General Assembly, the House and Senate, every 10 days to renew emergency order. Um, Senator uh, Kim Hill out of Westmoreland County, she has legislation for constitutional amendment to limit it to every 30 days. So those are important to the so what right now. And so we need to get those moved so we can't have a governor willy-nilly declaring a 90-day emergency and then renewing it. I mean, this is out of control. Right now, we're in the middle of a second emergency order going through September on this. Can you imagine this if he gets away with it? I mean, we're, we're going to see what happens for sure. Well, Senator, thank you for being on the Den. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. You heard it from the senator. Every vote matters. I've listened this year to a lot of things. I'll be voting. I suggest everyone to vote whichever way you feel you think this country should go. Senator, thank you so much for your time. I wish you the best luck in your upcoming election. And thank you for everything you're doing for reopening the state of Pennsylvania. Thank you for giving the people a voice here. And our lives do matter. And what we do echoes across the generations and to eternity. So this, everything's at stake for our children and children's children. We got to win this fight. And together we will. We must. Thank you, Senator. Have a good day. I appreciate everything. Thank you. Bye-bye. To be encouraged and be bold and courageous here. A lot of us think, oh, my vote doesn't matter. My voice doesn't matter. And, and I, I proved that together, you know, with my online chats here, that we created a movement of, of thousands of people. Last month, I reached about three and a half million people. Many of those people have been engaging their senators and reps and pushing them to do the right thing. A lot of times, these, these, these politicians have been doing this all their lives here. They, they, they lost their moral compass. But when the people rise up and start pushing them, I had one of the senior guys tell me, okay, you can call your people off me now. You know, we compelled him to force a vote on us here. We can make a difference together. And so if, if I happen to be the voice right now, the people here to fight for our freedoms here, let, let, we got to stick together. As, he, as uh, Benjamin Franklin said during the revolution, if we don't hang together, we'll hang separately. So we got to hang together and win this fight.